Well, good morning. It's good to be here in sunny South Florida. I heard it's been raining a lot, though, huh? Yeah. Well, it's been very nice in Central Florida. Um, so we thought we'd come down and sort of uh, share in your in your weather, as well as in the Word of God, particularly. Well, that was a, a very nice introduction, as well, um, Brother Doug, to even our uh, section of Scripture we're going to consider this morning. I've got the privilege of um, uh, managing the and uh, articulating the life of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, one of the faithful kings, one of the good kings, you know, of all the kings of Israel, there weren't very many good ones. Jehoshaphat happens to be one of the good ones. So if you'll turn with me, your Bibles, to Second Chronicles chapter 17. There's about four chapters here, and <clears throat> what I'm going to attempt to do in the time allotted, I'll see if we can maybe even get out a little earlier, but in the time allotted, what I'm going to attempt to do is we're going to first just kind of skeleton, get the skeleton of the life of Jehoshaphat. And we're going to glean through these four chapters. And then hopefully from them we'll pull a lesson that um, we can all apply to our lives. You know, our brother was talking about being a, a good steward and investing in, uh, in, in good things like building the assemblies and stuff like that. Well, we have a responsibility as believers as well as using the gifts that God has given us for his will. So this morning, the main thought I, I would like to, I'm hoping that we can draw out of the life of Jehoshaphat is that if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have both the responsibility and even more so the very great privilege of using your life to strengthen the testimony, to strengthen the testimony of God. You know, uh, we have people we, we uh, give money to and we want them to strengthen our bank account, right? And God has gifted us by the gift of grace and he has given something to us, and we have the great privilege of strengthening the testimony of for the Lord, te the testimony of God. When I talk about the testimony, by definition, the testimony for the Lord has it has a threefold basis. It's we we first of all, as has already been mentioned, we we want to strengthen the testimony of the assembly. The, the, the company of believers, when people look at this assembly, we pray that the testimony is a good, strong one that reflects the character of God. We also want to strengthen uh, the testimony of the gospel in the community. We want to preach the gospel in a solid, pure, honorable way so that the Lord is honored. And not only that, but when we talk about strengthening the testimony, we want to strengthen the testimony of edifying one another, of building each other up in spiritual things 
And, uh, you know, we, we spend so much time talking about things that really have no eternal value. We want to gather ourselves around and be mindful how important and how valuable it is to the Lord for us to edify one another in spiritual matters. So the, 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 my hope is to uh, articulate the importance it is that as a believer, we have the privilege of using our lives to strengthen the testimony for the Lord. Now, Jehoshaphat is a great example of that. Jehoshaphat is a great example of that. And we're going to just take a look at his life real quick. In, in, in uh, Second Chronicles chapter 17, we read here these first six verses. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and he strengthened himself against Israel. Now, Jehoshaphat was the son of Asa. Asa was a good king. Um, although the end his last 20 year reign, it, it wasn't really as good, I think, as he, he would have liked it to be. There were some situations that went on, some circumstances that were not really very honoring. But the fact of the matter is he had stayed forthright in his service, in his service toward God. His heart had been true to God. He had not, like Israel, Turned to the other gods. He had not turned to Baal worship or to the worship of other gods. Asa, he had a difficult time at the end of his life. But he was still considered a good king. Well, when he had passed away, when he had died, his son Jehoshaphat came in and he took his place. And it says in verse 2, And he placed troops in the fortified cities of Judah, and he set garrisons in the land of Judah, in the cities of Ephraim, which his father had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals. He did not turn from the true and the living God. But he sought the God of his fathers. He walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel, who had turned to other gods. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to the Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and, and wooden images from Judah. So Jehoshaphat was a man who walked, it says in verse 3, he walked in the ways of his father, David. And then it says later on in verse 4, he walked according to the commandments of the law. And we're going to take a look at that in a little bit later. Right now we're going to just walk through the life of Jehoshaphat. It says in verse 7, also the third year, he sent leaders, he sent leaders uh, into the country. And we're not going to go over that list of, of men. That's uh, for some historian to do that. And he also sent Levites into the cities. And in verse uh, in verse nine, it says, so they, the purpose of why he sent the leaders and the Levites. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout the cities of Judah and they taught the people. They went out teaching the laws of God. In verse 10, the result, 
And the fear of the Lord fell on the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Also, the Philistines, they brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute. You know, the, the Philistines had really been in subjection at that time to Judah. So they had to, they had brought not only presents, but they brought tribute. And the, Arabian, the Arabians, they brought flocks and there was thousands of them. Verse 12. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful. He built fortresses and strong cities in Judah. He had a lot of property. He had captains. It says here that in verse 14, he had mighty men of valor. In verse 16, there were those who were willing, who were willingly uh, brought themselves. It says they willingly offered themselves to the Lord. In verse 17, there were armed men. So there was protection. In verse 18, there were men who were prepared to stand for the kingdom. In verse 19, and these men, it says that they stood and they waited on the king. They were waiting. It says they served the king and there were others as well. So the kingdom had become very strong under Jehoshaphat. And it was because of his fear for the Lord. It was the result was a revival had begun because he introduced the commandments of God. He reintroduced into the lives of Israel And then all of a sudden we come to verse or chapter 18. Again, it re-edifies here that Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance. And then all of a sudden, and by marriage, he allied himself with Ahab. Now, Ahab was the king of Israel, the northern empire. And at this time, Israel had split. Judah was southern. They were the northern. And Ahab was a very wicked king. Uh, He was married to Jezebel and Jezebel had turned his heart from the true and the living God. And and Ahab had worshipped Baal and he was a very wicked king. He was in of all the kings. I think he's considered to be one of the most wicked. We won't go on to that. But for one reason or the other, and I don't know why, uh, of course, it was by marriage. And later on, we'll see how that happened. Actually, as you read later in uh, Second Chronicles 21, you find out that. Um, uh, Jehoshaphat's son married Jezebel and Ahab's daughter. And so you know what happens when things like that take place. Later on, he would even, Jehoram would turn from the Lord himself. So he was allied with him by marriage. And it says after some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. And, and, and they had this great big party. Ahab brought the feasts and the oxen. He brought the sheep out. And there were people with him. And at this particular time, Ahab was in battle with Syria. And there was a little piece of land called uh, Ramoth Gilead that they had fought over back and forth. It was Israel would have it for a while. Uh, Syria would take it over. So they would fight back and forth. And I, he, I guess he figured he'd take advantage of the situation. While he had Jehoshaphat there, he says, well, let's see if I can get some help. And it says, so Ahab, uh, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, uh, will you go with me? Will you join me and help me in this battle? And, you know, great men sometimes do things you don't understand why they do it. I don't, I don't understand. But he he this is this is his response. And he looks and uh, in verse uh, three of chapter 18, um, uh, 
Jehoshaphat answered him. He says, I'm as you are and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. So kind of just spur the moment. You know, he says, we're brothers. We're both Jews. We both bleed the same kind of blood. Let's do this together. And I don't know whether it was any excitement of, of all of that. And I'm sure it had something to do with being allied with his son being married to Jezebel's daughter. But all of a sudden, he makes a rash decision to ally himself with one of the most wicked kings in all of the history of Israel. It says in verse 4, also Jehoshaphat, he said, I guess he had second thoughts about it, or he just all of a sudden realized it. Wait a minute. In verse 4, he says, well, how about we inquire with the Lord about this? Should we ask the Lord about this? And Ahab, you know, he's cool with that. And so he sends his men out and he gets these 400 uh, wicked prophets, evil prophets. And he brings them on and uh, he says to the prophets, he says, should we go up? Should we go up to Remeth Gilead? Should we get the land back? And they're all, yeah, go for it. Go on up. Let's take it back. They say, go up. For God will deliver it into your hand. And Jehoshaphat, with just a little discernment, realizes, oh, wait a minute. I don't see any real prophets here. I don't see any prophets of, of, of Israel. I just see these false prophets. And so he inquires to uh, Ahab and he says, hey, isn't there another prophet that we can get? A prophet of God that we can bring? And, of course, Ahab says, well, yeah, there is one. Um, his name's Micaiah, but, you know, uh, I really don't like his prophecies because every time he comes, he just he doesn't do it the way I want him to. You know, so I don't really like him. And, of course, uh, uh, Jehoshaphat realized that this was a real prophet. And he said, no, let's go get him. And you probably shouldn't be talking so bad about him anyway. And so, of course, Ahab sends him out and they go to they go to uh, find Micaiah, who I think at that time it, it 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 alludes to the fact that he was probably in prison then, too. Uh, later on, he'd be putting him back in prison. And he would be eating the bread of affliction and drinking the water of affliction um, because the king didn't like the way he prophesied. So anyway, so as they go to get him, all of these false prophets are. Uh, you know, encouraging the king to go to war. And and uh, uh, Zedekiah, one of the leading prophets, one of the leading false prophets, he brings up these uh, uh, metal horns or these steel horns and and he brings them to the king. And he says, you take these and you're going to win. You take these. And there was probably some superstition all about it and everything. And, he, you know, you're going to win. He says, Zedekiah. He, he takes the horns. Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they're destroyed. And boy, Ahab's getting pumped up. Meanwhile, the others are bringing Micaiah, the prophet. And, uh, and as they're transporting with Micaiah, Micaiah says, uh, or, or the, 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 the guards that are bringing him, they say, listen. Over here in uh, the messengers in verse 12, the messengers who'd gone to get Micaiah, they spoke to him saying, now, listen, all of the other prophets, they're encouraging 
to go to war. Now, when you go, you should do the same thing. You should be in a good encouragement to him. Of course, Micaiah says, well, uh, I'm only going to say what the Lord tells me to say. I'm going to speak the words of God. And uh, so they bring him here and uh, uh, and the king and uh, they, they brought Micaiah and the king says to. And of course, at this time, you know, uh, uh, um, oh, my goodness, uh, Ahab and um, Jehoshaphat <laughs> are sitting in the, in, the, in the open ground and they're getting all of this attention and, and everything's going on and they're getting really motivated and they bring Micaiah up and they ask Micaiah, well, should we go? Should we go? And Micaiah turns and uh, he says here uh, in verse 14, he says, yeah, go ahead, go and prosper. Well, Ahab, he must have heard something in his voice because every time this guy comes, he doesn't say what he wants to hear. So there must have been some kind of sarcasm or something. There. I don't know what it was, but um, Ahab turns and he says, look, didn't I tell you? He says here, he, hits, he says here in verse 15, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? This is Ahab, the most wicked king. And so I guess uh, uh, Micaiah, he decides, he goes, OK, listen, I had a vision and this is really how it's going to go. I saw all Israel. Scattered on the mountains. I was thinking about this this morning in Lord's Supper as we were talking about the sheep being scattered and and uh, thinking about this here. How he says, I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, uh, these have no master. Let each return to his house. And Ahab just starts getting furious. And he starts. I told you, why are you always he says, or the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you, you, you would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And then, of course, Micaiah begins to tell him a fable. He kind of brings in, in many ways. This is almost a parable. He's bringing spiritual truths and he's using temporal uh, illustrations. And he starts telling him uh, about how the Lord is in heaven and he's consulting with the angels as if the Lord needs to consult. God needs to consult with the angels and the angels are saying, oh, well, you should do this. So, oh, well, you maybe you should do that. And then one of the angels just perks up and he says, oh, I know, I know. Um, I'll send a lying spirit down there and everybody will lie. And he says here, the spirit came forward and he spoke in verse 20, spoke to the Lord and said, I'll persuade him. And then the Lord said, so he said, I'll go out in verse 21 by a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. And you're going to persuade him and prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look. The Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. So he uses this tale. Of course, Zedekiah, he doesn't like that because he's going to get showed up. He reaches over and smacks him, says, how did the spirit go from me to you? How did the spirit go from me to you? And of course, Micaiah says, well, you'll see. You'll see when the king doesn't come back. So that's really the introduction here to their uh, alliance. But. 
Interestingly enough, as they prepare to enter into this battle, Ahab decides he has a pretty cool plan. He says, we're going to go to this battle, but I'm going to dress up just as a typical warrior. I'm not going to have my royal robes on. I'm just going to dress up as a typical royal, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, soldier. And uh, Jehoshaphat, you dress up in your royal stuff. What was he thinking? <laughs> he would agree with them. And so uh, uh, Ahab disguises himself and he's mixing with the people. And, and uh, as the um, Syrians are, 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 pers- are beginning to engage in the battle, before they engage, the commander said, listen, don't be messing with the little guys. We want the king. We want the king. And so when uh, the battle began... And and Ahab is hiding with the soldiers, you know, like this. And oh, they'll never get me. And he knew they weren't really interested in the soldiers. They wanted the king. All of a sudden, uh, the Syrians see uh, Jehoshaphat high and lifted up on his little cart and everything. And they decide, uh, let's get him. And so they all venture out and they begin to attack uh, Jehoshaphat. And he sees it. And um, I mean... He was he knew as he knew he was doomed. He had no other choice. He just cried out. I don't know what he said. I don't know. He said the Lord's prayer or what he said. But I think probably the only thing he could say is help. And the Lord intervened and uh, Jehoshaphat would uh, uh, get out there unscathed. Meanwhile, Ahab hiding them, you know, all the soldiers he's hiding there. There happened to be a Syrian who, by happen chance, takes a bow and just kind of, because, you know, I don't know, he, it seems to me like he probably didn't really want to be there in the first place. He didn't want to be killing people and stuff. So he just takes a bow, and by happen chance, he lets it go, and lo and behold, the spear enters right between the armor of Ahab. Wow, is that a coincidence? No, it's not. Well, it's interesting, and, and uh, he's there, and, and, and he turns and he says to the guy, the guy on his card, he goes, hey, um, you know, I got shot. You know, let's back up from, from the, the battle. So they backed up, and they propped him up against his cart. And then uh, when the sun went down, he died. He died. Such a plan. It says here in in chapter 19, then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to the house of Jerusalem. And uh, interestingly, uh, you know, Jehoshaphat's not going to get off so easy. He made some he made some stupid mistakes. As soon as he starts heading back, all of a sudden he's he's approached by in verse two, Jehu, the son of Hanani. And he was a seer. He went to meet him and he said to King Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? I mean, what a rebuke. Should you help the wicked and hate those who love the Lord? The Lord? And he says, therefore, the wrath of God is on you. But there's some good things about Jehoshaphat. God's God's not done with them. He may have made a mistake, but his heart was still with the Lord. So that's one. And by the way, this is not the only mistake Jehoshaphat made. 
There was another one. I don't, you know, we learn from people's errors, don't we? I think that um, when you look through Scripture, you find out the great men of Scripture, apart from maybe Enoch, most, if not all, have made some kind of a mistake. And there's a lesson there for us, right? There's a lesson there for us. That the grace we, see, we receive from the Lord is not by our works, but it's a gift that he gives us, right? It's not what we do, it's, it's what he does. And so he's rebuked and he responds appropriately. He's humbled, just like David was. He repents and he goes back to the city and he begins to uh, set he begin, actually, he begins another revival. This is actually the second revival that Jehoshaphat would, would institute or actually he would, he would uh, instigate. And he, he begins to set judges over the land. He begins to organize the land. He, he, it says here in, um, in uh, it, he goes back, he goes back to the people and he brings them, then he set judges over them, he brings them back to the Lord here in verse 4. So Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem, chapter 19, verse 4, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim, and he brought them back to the Lord God of their father. So he began another revival. That's the second revival. And he begins to establish uh, judicial justice in verse nine, he commands them, saying, you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. And of course, we won't go into it. You can do it. You read it yourself. In chapter 20, there's there's a um, there's another battle that they go into. And this time, uh, this is a battle that the Lord resolves himself. The the three countries uh, of Moab and and uh, it was uh, uh, three countries came together to set up against um, Jehoshaphat and and he prays. And you know what's interesting? This is a wonderful prayer that Jehoshaphat has when he begins his prayer before he asks for anything. The first thing he does is he identifies and he he recognized got the characteristics of God. He, 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 he illustrates or he articulates who God is before you ever come to God. We want to recognize who he is. And that's what he did. He says, you've led our people. You've taken care of our people. You're our God. You've, you've cleared the way before us. You've been our friend. He calls him a friend. And, uh, and so he seeks the Lord. And in this situation, the Lord, um, um, uh, rescues them in verse in chapter 20. In chapter 20, in verse 15, it says, and he said, listen, all of you, Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. And so as a result of it, the Lord would. Would. Put the enemies one against the other and they would end up destroying themselves. So Jehoshaphat had some great lessons. All right. So I said all that and I have a few more minutes to kind of uh, bring it all together. We started out by saying it's our privilege and our great responsibility 
as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to use our lives to strengthen the testimony. How does this story of Jehoshaphat help us to strengthen our testimony? Well, I think that the first thing that we find with Jehoshaphat in chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, is that he had established above all things else. Jehoshaphat had established a personal relationship with his God. There was a personal relationship. He wasn't some God that was far off. And even in his mistakes, not only this mistake of aligning himself with Ahab later on, he would align himself with uh, Jeroboam, uh, which was uh, Ahab's son, and Ahaziah, he would align himself with him as well. Uh, And even in spite of that, his heart had always been right. His relationship with the Lord was always true. You know, the Lord doesn't move. The Lord is steady. If you ever, you know, if you ever think, well, where is God in this? It's not God who moves, right? It's us. The Lord is steady. The Lord is straight. It's our responsibility as believers to yield to the Lord's word as Jehoshaphat did. It's it's the beginning of a strong personal relationship. We see in chapter 17 that he walked in the former ways of David. We see also that he walked in his commandments. So there was a strong personal relationship. How do we use our lives to strengthen the testimony? The very first step is to have a strong personal relationship with the Lord. And a personal relationship with him, it's a life of continuing fellowship. We have so many things that get in our way. And I just think of it myself. I was thinking as as we made this move and 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 we had all of these things that we had to fix and and move and set up and everything. You know, it's not hard to get moving and then get down the road and then all of a sudden realize, hey, wait a minute. I haven't spent any time with the Lord. I've been so busy with my stuff that the owner of all things I haven't even spent. And how can you build a relationship with someone if you don't spend time with them? A strong personal relationship is a relationship of spending time, a continual fellowship. He, he walked... Uh, 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 He walked in the ways of his father, David. David was a humble man. David was a man who, when he made when he made mistakes, he repented. David was a man who sought the ways of the Lord. He walked in the ways of his father. He walked in his commandments. And that's the second step. There's a personal relationship and then there's active obedience. He walked in the commandments of the Lord. Active obedience. And, you know, it's it's really hard to obey somebody if you don't have a good relationship with them, isn't it? If you don't have a good relationship with them. And how can you have a good relationship with someone if you don't spend any time with them? So to build a strong testimony for the Lord, the very first thing is to have a strong personal relationship A personal relationship that's developed by a continual fellowship, 
a personal relationship that has active obedience, that we are intentional. You know, there's a lot of times that people, uh, you know, they, they complain, where's revival? How come the church is so weak? And how come, you know, this and that? They're always complaining about that kind of stuff. When's the last time you complained about your own personal relationship? Your own struggles with the Lord. So strengthening the testimony for the Lord, it begins with a, a strong personal relationship. You know, uh, the other thing that, that he did in verse 6 says he took the light in the Lord. And that's, that's a life of, of particular, particularly, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. That's a life of being involved in spiritual affairs. Being involved in spiritual affairs. I was listening to a brother and he said how much he dreaded going to the Sunday school picnic. Because every time he went, it was all this frivolity. And he would look around and he longed for a good, deep spiritual conversation. You know, people are afraid to have deep spiritual conversations. And most of it is because their personal relationship is not as strong as it could be. So there's got to be a strong personal relationship. There's a delight in the things of the Lord. You know, that's a life that it reaches out with the gospel. A life that has a thankful attitude. A life that enjoys fellowship with one and that doesn't begrudge coming to the prayer meeting, but looks forward to it. That, that just it's anticipates the Lord's Supper. That anticipates coming together. So a strong personal relationship is established by continual fellowship. It's established by active obedience. And it's established by delight in the Lord. Now, there's a lot of things that we could look at. But what I'm going to do right now is we're going to look at this next section. And I'm just going to close up here with um, the idea here. Is, is that to build a to, to use our lives to strengthen the testimony, first we want to maintain a strong personal relationship. The next thing I want to focus in on is taking serious the position that the Lord has given you. Taking serious the position that the Lord has given you. Look here in verse 7. We see here, and in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders he sent them, well, first in verse 6, and his heart took delight in the Lord, and moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images. You know, a lot of times people take for granted the position that the Lord has given you. And I'm not saying just in the church. If the Lord has given you a position as an elder, praise the Lord. If he's given you a position as a deacon, but he's given you other positions, and we want to take them seriously. Well, there's fathers at home that need to be spending time praying with their children. They need to spend time with their wife, speaking with their wife and talking about the things of the Lord. You know, at work, there's people who need to be reached with the gospel. It's a serious matter. And we take it for granted. Well, I'm not an elder. Well, I'm not a deacon. Well, I'm not gifted, as the brother said. There's some people who are not gifted in very many things, but we are all called to be a steward. And what is a steward? A steward is one who is faithful. 
faithful in our testimony with the Lord. Jehoshaphat, the one thing that separates him from everybody else is the fact that all of the other kings, they just saw themselves as taking advantage of the people. You know, in um, in Deuteronomy, it says when you get into the land, you're going to be asking for a king and you're going to be looking for someone who's going to want to take care of you and help you out. But that's not what they got. That's not what we get today either. But that's not what they got. But the thing that separated Jehoshaphat with the rest of them, that he was somebody who took God's word seriously, that that he saw himself as God's man to rule the kingdom. Is that how you see yourself as a child of God, a royal priest? Do you see yourself as responsible to be an active participant in the kingdom of God and and developing the kingdom of God? We're to fulfill the, the duty of the Lord. We're, we're the, the commandments of the Lord is, is to fulfill our duty. Fulfill the duties of the word of God. We're to do it at home, at work, at fellowship. And then on top of that, one last thing is we take advantage of the blessings that God has given us. The brother is talking about being good stewards with your money and how important that is. And when you get older and you didn't do that, you realize how you should have done it. Why? So that you could sit back and be fat and happy? No. So that you can continue to be used by the Lord for the building of his kingdom. Right? We don't do this for ourselves. We build it. We do it for, the, for to build the kingdom of God. We do it because we want to use our lives to strengthen the testimony. Strengthen the testimony in the assembly. Strengthen the testimony in the outreach with the gospel. Strengthen our testimony in edifying and building one another up. Now, Jehoshaphat made some mistakes. But the one thing that he did right is when he was rebuked, he didn't turn and say, oh, these guys uh," and go running away. When he was rebuked, he repented. When he was rebuked, he humbled himself. When he was rebuked, he realized he needed to get back to the things of the Lord. And he did it. He made some mistakes. We make mistakes. These things are for our example, right? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all these things were written for our example. Are you using your life to strengthen the testimony? Well, I'm just going to tell you, I have to confess. This study rebuked my very own heart. I know there needs to be adjustments in my life. I praise God for Jehoshaphat and for the life that he lived, for the testimony that he left. And I pray that I respond in the right way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how it reaches deep into our lives. And even though it may have been a little chopped up here this morning, I pray it would be uh, it would honor you. We, we, we look at the life of this godly king. We understand that humanity and its frailness and its weakness, that we do dumb things. But we also recognize that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. 
So we thank you, Father, for this study. We thank you for this king, for this man of God who has exemplified in many ways what it means to use his life to strengthen and to establish the testimony. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.